Good afternoon, everyone. This is Marjorie Papsteinmetz, and this is Caregivers Speak. We have not yet been joined by our guest, and uh, so we're hoping that she uh, checks in with us in just the next few moments. Um, We welcome you to the show. Our guest is going to be Cynthia Lim, who uh, has written an amazing memoir um, called Wherever You Are. So we are contacting her at this moment to see if we can't uh, find her and get her connected with us this afternoon. So we thank you for your patience. Mm -hmm. Cynthia has joined us. Cynthia? Yes, number, as we instructed. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Hold on just one moment. John, she says she has called in and she's on the line with us. Yes, she should be live. Cynthia, can you hear us? Cynthia, can you hear us? I can't hear her. She is showing up as live. Hmm. Yes, she said she had called in and she was hearing us, is hearing us. Okay, Cynthia? Unmuted. Uh Uh-huh. Hello? Cynthia, can you hear me? Oh, Cynthia. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. This is Marjorie. Great. Terrific. Okay, Cynthia is on the line. Um, We've already uh, sort of, I've already sort of introduced you, Cynthia. We're delighted you're with us. You know, the magic of technology. Every once in a while, there'll be a bit of a snafu, but you're with us and we can proceed. I'm so happy to hear your voice, and I'm happy that you're with us this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Well, you've written an amazing book. Um, I will mention it again, Wherever You Are. And uh, for our audience today, our topic is going to be a caregiver's memoir, a 15-year journey with disability. And um, this this is an amazing, amazing book. Cynthia is the author of the recently published Wherever You Are, a memoir of love, marriage, and brain injury. It's a story of what happened when her husband of 20 years had a cardiac arrest and then brain injury, and he was left severely disabled. The memoir is about Cynthia's journey as the spouse of a brain-injured patient and how she struggled with caregiving, working full-time, and spending time with her sons. It's a story of love, of marriage, while being a caregiver for your spouse. Cynthia holds a doctorate in social welfare and recently retired from the Los Angeles Unified School District. Her husband uh, passed away last April, April that would be of 2018, 
before the publication of her memoir. And so, I first of all, I just want to say, Cynthia, we're so sorry for your loss, and um, I'm sure you've had a difficult uh, year uh, this past year as we're coming up on the anniversary. Of- yes, thank you. Thank you for the condolences. You're you're most welcome. I have to say that as a caregiver, the resilience that you demonstrate in this book, I am awed by. I think it's an amazing book to read, to to bolster all of our our inspirations about being caregivers. So. Why don't we start with um, how your caregiving journey started. Tell us about that day or that time when your husband became disabled. Sure. So my husband and I met in college, uh, as freshmen in college, and uh, he was 47 at the time. He had a cardiac arrest, and we were on vacation in Portland, Oregon, and he was, you know, at the at the cusp of a of, of a very successful career. He was an attorney with a big law firm specializing in corporate bankruptcy. Um, I had a career in education, and you know, we we seemed to have this kind of perfect little life with two teenage sons. We were vacationing in Portland, and he had a cardiac arrest, and he went into a coma. And during his cardiac arrest, you know, his heart stopped for about seven minutes, so he didn't get enough oxygen to his brain. He was in a coma for about 10 days, and when he woke, um, first of all, we didn't know if he was ever going to make it out of the coma. Uh, And when he did, we didn't really know the extent of the brain damage or how much of him would come back. So a lot of the book is about, um, you know, is he there, what parts of him came back, and um, and then dealing with the aftermath. So after he woke from his coma, he had, you know, cognitive deficits. He couldn't go back to work as an attorney. His speech was very compromised, so he could um, – he would respond to questions if you asked him, but he didn't initiate speech. Um, but he did understand everything that was said to him, um, and he never lost his his long-term memory. So he always remembered who I was. He always remembered who the boys were. Uh, he just didn't remember what he, you know, ate 10 minutes ago or what he did an hour ago. Um, he needed full-time care, so we had uh, a full-time caregiver with him while I worked full-time. And, um, and so the journey was really about how do we reclaim our lives as a family you know, with a severely disabled spouse, and how do we give him the highest quality life that, that we can? Um, before his brain injury, he was this really fun-loving person that that really adhered to the the motto of you know work hard and play hard. So he worked really hard, but whenever he had free time, his whole thing was let's go on a family vacation. Let's just you know make the most of whatever it is that we have, and so. I really tried to do that for him after his disability. And so the book is really about how each turn, you know, every obstacle we faced in trying to do that and trying to give him the quality of life that Mm -hmm. I felt like he really deserved, even though he was disabled. Yes. Um, Yes. All through the book, the celebration 
of life and taking a nod from what he stood for, as you said, and celebrating the moments together and celebrating the things we still have, like you say, the long-term memory. Um, it's, it's a remarkable, uh, I think probably one of the best things that you probably did for yourself to, to stay resilient. But, you know, 15 years is a long time. What are it is a really long time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 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 I I think anybody that go that goes through caregiving I I, I think you these thoughts surface and this the thoughts of you know how much longer am I going to have to do this you know why me um, is there any way out of this and um and, and and I went through those struggles and and that's part of the reason why I wrote this book because. I always felt guilty whenever I thought those thoughts, like, you know, how much longer do I have to do this? And I think it's a normal thing when you're in, in that caregiving mode to have those feelings. And um, and so I wrote this book hoping that other caregivers wouldn't feel guilty for having those kinds of thoughts, because I think it's it's a normal it's a normal phase of being a caregiver. And now that he's no longer here, I I would give anything to have those caregiving days back just to, to have his presence. So um, for me, the alternative was, uh, of not having him at all is much worse. Yes. And thank you for confirming that we all feel guilty, um, you know, when we're caregiving. And I have to say, I felt guilty. And then when my my spouse died, I also felt relief. And so... Over the years, I've tried to confirm for people that you can feel guilt and relief at the same time, if that makes any yeah. sense, yeah. because of the pain maybe that, that they have been in. But um, I think your book is so timely in that more and more caregivers are care for chronic illness, for some long period of illness. And so... You know your thoughts around how you how you worked through that time period. Um, other tips that you would give to us about how you kept working through, you know, each of the segments or stages of his long illness. I think um, I think just being brave and getting out there because I think, you know, when you're, when you're caregiving or when you're faced with disability in your family, it, it's like a whole nother world. You know, you, you see the world differently. Like I, I now, when, whenever I walk anywhere, I'm always looking for curb cuts or, uh, you know, how smooth the path is, even though I'm not dealing with disability anymore. But in those days, you know, that's the antenna I would have up or like, you know, family bathrooms that I could take my husband to because he was incontinent. And so I, I always had to help him in the bathroom. But um, it, it's really hard, you know, navigating that world because the world is not set up for disability. And um, and early on, I just I learned to just ignore, you know, the stares from people, um, you know, the way People just kind of look at you when you're with someone that's disabled um, to just work through that and just say, you know what, I'm still going to enjoy my life. I'm not going to hide in my home. Um, 
I'm still going to go see the world, and I'm st- we're still going to travel and do whatever we can. So, um, but I, you know, I think that's hard because your your tendency is just to to think, well, it's easier to just stay home and not try mm-hmm. that, you know, or or not to go out. It's easier to just eat dinner at home rather than going to a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for that. Yes, getting out and continuing to enjoy. And one of the things that struck me in your book is that you take such great inspiration from nature. You and your family um, love camping. And your descriptions of getting out, uh, despite your, what you're saying, are, are some of the obstacles um, after your husband's illness or disability, just getting out there and doing it. But the inspiration you took from looking at the mountains and looking at the seasons, talk to us about that. I felt that that was one of the most amazingly spiritual things you talk about in your book. Yeah, so, you know, my husband was a big outdoorsman. He loved to hike and fish and camp, and um, that was a huge challenge of how do we still do that when he's disabled. So he he had, he could walk, but he had trouble with his balance. And so at the very beginning, shortly after his, his, his heart attack, he was still in pretty good shape, and we were able to do day hikes in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. We live in Los Angeles. And um, and that was kind of hard, too, because, you know, climbing mountains was was difficult. The altitude was much higher. Um, but we did it anyway because I, what I found was for him it was very restorative because he, before his heart attack, when he was in the mountains and when he was in the wilderness, that's when he felt most at peace with himself. And so... Um, we continued to do that, and we took him out to the mountains. Um, later, when his walking became more impaired, we um, I found paths that were paved um, in the in the mountains. They, they're really making some of these trails more uh, accessible. So we were still able to find trails where he could push a wheelchair. You know, I could push a wheelchair or he could walk with his walker. But I, I found that just being out in the mountain air and in the wilderness was, you know, a great thing for him and for me just to to feel like the mountain air on your face and and be among nature. Yes, exactly. And, you know, um, related to that, you talk a lot about your own um, – with the word empowerment, you don't use that word, but I'm, I'll use it. It's kind of an overused word, but your own sense of building ability and empowerment for yourself and how, you know, sort of ironically, when he couldn't, he would would look to you to lead the path, to lead the way. Uh, you write about that you could dictate the path and that this gave you a sense of, resiliency and empowerment uh, with the situation. Um, The end of one of the chapters, you say, at the end of the weekend, Paul flew home with us for spring break. The flight home seemed easier with his help. After buckling Perry into his seatbelt, I leaned back in my seat on the plane and I smiled. I had done it. I had traveled with Perry by myself. 
I mean, what inspirational words, Cynthia. Yeah, that you know that was that was uh, the first time I flew in an airplane with with him alone, and um, it, I, I think at the time I had the decision of do I just hide in my house, you know, with disability, or do I get out there? And uh, both of my kids were in various states. One was in college, the other one was going to this wilderness school, and. Um, and I had this decision, like, do I, you know, try to find a caregiver to stay with him or do I just take him with me and try to do it on my own? And that was the first time that it actually worked that I did do it on my own. So it made me feel, um, I guess, empowered, you know, to to travel more and to realize it's not that bad. Like, whatever it is that I would be faced with in terms of obstacles, I could, I could handle it. Yeah. And for those caregivers out there listening to us today, um, I think it's one of the great lessons of your book. There are many, but it's one of the great lessons of the book is just go out there and do it and try it. So other obstacles that you'd like to share with us and how you dealt with them during this journey? Well, I think a major one was dealing with the whole medical community, and I think anybody dealing with caregiving can can relate to that um, I, and that was one of the primary audiences for this book when I wrote it because when this happened to me I couldn't find any books about what happened to families and how to how to spouses and families cope with caregiving it's all about the patient and um, what I found from the medical community was just a lot of disillusionment and um, just the words that they used. I mean, I, we, we went to a neurologist once, and the neurologist was saying, "Well, how much, how much improvement can you expect? There's nothing you can do." And I, I was so angry at those words because I was thinking, if this was your father, your spouse, your husband, your mother, would you have that attitude? Or, you know, it's so discouraging for families. So I really. I really hope that the medical community sees something in this to realize their words really matter to families. And just that little word of there's no hope or there's nothing we could do, how how devastating that is to families that are going through something like this. Like that's not helpful and that's not at all what you want to hear. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I think as we advocate for our loved ones, um, some of the doctors that I interview on this show say it's okay to correct a doctor or even get another doctor. (laughs) You know, it's um, if you're unhappy with uh, the treatment of the medical community, not the medical treatment so much as the interpersonal treatment, which is what you're really talking about, which means makes just as much difference as the medical piece, then I think we as caregivers just need to think about that. And so you help us think about that. Thank you so much, Cynthia, um, for those comments. It's It's all about expectations, isn't it? And yes. oh, yeah, oh, it lower is. high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um other takeaways from your book. What do you, what is it that you hope your readers will 
takeaway besides what we've talked about? Yeah, I think the other the other audience for this book was really caregivers because I yeah. I went through so many feelings of feeling guilty every time I hated my situation or every time I felt exasperated. I didn't I didn't find any books about that experience, about you know, what it's like to be in the throes of caregiving. And mm-hmm. so I, I think the main message is it's okay, it's okay to feel that way and um you know, other people probably do feel that way, but they're too afraid to admit it. And so I'm just hoping that others can read the book and say, you know what, this is normal. What I'm going through is normal. It's okay, you know, it's okay to get mad. Um, it, you know, those are, are real emotions that have to be dealt with. Yeah, yeah. The In the writing of your book, did you find that uh, therapeutic for you? and helpful for you as you wrote the words. I I actually didn't. It was really hard to write because I think to to write the emotional truth, you have to relive all those moments. So there's a chapter in the book where I lost my husband at the mall. He he wandered away. And for about six hours, he was lost. And it was the most... You know, for anyone that's a caregiver, you know what this feeling is like. It's the yes. most helpless feeling in the world, and and you're just filled with guilt and worry, and it was just awful. And I I did almost didn't write about it, uh, but my oldest son said, "You have to write that chapter because that that is that's the caregiving experience, and you have to include it in there." So it was really hard to write, and even today. Um, it's the hardest chapter for me to read in the book because I, I relive that panic every time. And so how how were you able to, how did you find him after these six hours? Uh, I, there was a message on our home phone. There was a call from our home phone from a hospital and um they didn't leave a message, but there was, you know, it was on the call log, and so I called that hospital, and he was there. He'd been picked up by the paramedics. Oh my! Well, to read the chapter as, as I did, um, I have to say to our audience, it is that chapter that is the scariest, if you will. Um, you know, the pit of your stomach as a reader even feels it, feels what Cynthia went through. So thank you for writing it. Thank your sons for encouraging you to write that <laughs> chapter. Thank you. Really important. Um, you know, my admiration for you is really uh, a 10 out of a 10 in that um, I too wrote a book, but it's been over a decade. And I couldn't write a memoir Instead, I wrote fictional pieces about caregivers with some what I hoped were embedded truths in each of the fictional stories for my audience. Uh But so I can really relate to the the hurt of and the pain of putting this into memoir form. But it has such incredible impact that. it, it was is well worth it for your audiences, Cynthia. Thank you so much. Yeah. So 
anything else that I haven't asked about that you would like to to focus on today? No, I think you covered it all. Uh, you know, a lot of it was I, I had to learn kind of how to write the story also. So, I, you know, I took a lot of writing classes and fell into a writing group uh, that really kind of helped me shape this book because it is, it, you know, it's really hard to write about the story and then uh, even harder to kind of craft it into a tellable story that that compels readers. Yes. And you have that, and it's so interesting you say that. Um, now that now that you say you that you had a support group or system around you, I see that because the book does build to the end. It's, the story itself is crafted to bring us through um, to the end. What have before we tell our audience how to find your book? What have you learned in the last year, looking back? Is there a truth that you've learned looking back on your caregiving journey? I I think it's really that, you know, caregiving is the ultimate act of love. And um, that's what carried me through, you know, all those years is just that love that I had for my husband and the love that he still was able to convey to me in spite of his disability. And and I think... um, you know that's what all care all caregivers kind of go through, and I think that's what a lot of times the medical community doesn't quite understand what that bond is and how strong that is. Yes, that you're intuitively following um, your love and your sense of what he was was, and as a caregiver, I think we follow the lead of our care partner. And mm-hmm. in your case, you did that, um, and you're right there. And and it, you know, it'd be so interesting for every doctor to know. Well, you know, what is your approach, or what are you doing that honors your care partner and your love for him or for her? It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? To yeah, yeah, to have that insight. I <laughs> so yeah, I absolutely yeah. So tell us how we find your book. Well, the book is available on Amazon, uh, and you could also go to your local bookstore, and they will order it from the publisher directly also. Okay. And the publisher is? The publisher is a small independent press called Coffee Town Press out of Seattle. But they uh, service, you know, they service brick-and-mortar books, uh, bookstores, so... Uh, bookstores would would order it from them. They're great. I'm holding it in my hand, the book, and I love that Coffee Town Press. Well, of course, a a small press uh, in Seattle is going to be called Coffee Town Press. I just love right. it. <laughs> and then tell tell our audience about uh, your website too, Cynthia. Yes, I have a blog um, that I kind of just post, you know. Uh, updates on what's happening and widowhood and that sort of thing. And the web address is CynthiaLimWriting.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest today. Thank you for having me. And I want to thank eCare Diary for supporting this show. Um, you will find an archive of this show on both eCare Diary 
www.mycaregivingcoach.com. On my website, mycaregivingcoach.com, that archive should be up on both those websites in the next 24 to 48 hours. And encourage your friends or listen back to Cynthia. If you were a listener today, sometimes people like to listen back to the archive. So that will be up for everyone to enjoy again and learn more from Cynthia. Again, thank you to our listeners. All of you have a great day, and thank you, Cynthia. We'd love to have you you back in the future. Okay. Okay, it's a deal. Okay, everybody, have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye.